So check this out. Uh, back in the olden days of this church, we used to do this thing called VBS. I don't know if you know what VBS stands for. VBS stands for Vacation Bible School. And we called it an outreach, like we were trying to outreach out into our community for VBS and invite the kids. We always had the kids invite people. We always had the parents invite people. It was like this big thing. So we'd invite people. The last year we did VBS, we had 100 kids, which was nuts. We were so pumped. It was like the coolest thing ever, three digits. It was awesome. But that week I went through all the registration forms and I found out that of the 100, only like two weren't already attending a church somewhere. So a bunch of church people were using our VBS as babysitting for their kids. Anyways, <laughs> amen, right? Uh, so I came to the conclusion that if we were gonna do VBS, it wasn't really gonna be an outreach because that's not what it was. We were, we were taking care of Christians. We weren't actually reaching anybody who wasn't. Uh, so that kind of started us on this journey of being involved in the different things in the community and the different uh, events that the, that the city puts on. We just wanted to be there present for them. So here's the cool part. This, uh, what you just watched, Kids Land, on Wednesday of this past year, uh, this Wednesday of this past week, we just had uh, over a thousand kids go through Kids Land. Isn't that cool? So... Uh, and we really do believe that God does stuff with that, man. Uh, just handing somebody an invitation to something, just having these little micro conversations that God's gonna use that and uh, things will happen in the spiritual. All right, uh, today um, I did that thing. So as we like grow as a church, we have to be like more organized and stuff, which is really annoying. So everybody wants to know like, hey, when's these sermon series gonna happen? And we always plan this stuff way out. Like we know when our sermon series are gonna be like in the fall already. Um, but I always throw curveballs. So today it was supposed to be a continuation of the sermon series we've been, been in, but I just decided I didn't wanna do that. I wanted to preach on something else because I feel like, um, how dare you? Uh, oppress me with your plans and your, and your calendars. So, and I do feel like, just so you know, God did. I really feel like God laid this on my heart as something that uh, maybe you need. So, <laughs> if I may, you need this. Uh, <laughs> so what I want to do is I, I want to show you a two-word verse, a verse that has two words in it, two. And uh, when I read it, I think one of two things is gonna, you're, you're gonna go in one of two directions. You're, and it's gonna be a knee-jerk reaction. You're not not a, like a process that thing, but like your knee-jerk reaction is either gonna be, you're gonna have a whole bunch of questions, you're gonna ask some stuff, or if you're feeling grumpy, you're just gonna outright disagree with it. If you were really honest, I know if you're a Christian, you would never say I disagree with that version. You're not gonna say it like that. But you might just have an emotional response to it. Or, or, or you'll disagree with it in kind of like that sarcastic, apathetic, way, like, ha ha, yeah, right, kind of a thing might pop into your mind. The only thing you're not, you're, the only knee-jerk reaction you're not going to have when I show you this two-word verse is, oh yeah, absolutely. Yes, that, that, that for sure, that's, that, yes. You're not going to knee-jerk a yes to these two words. And I'll say you ha you'll have good reason. You'll have good questions. You'll have good reason for maybe an emotional or a completely apathetic response to it. But what I want to do, I just, I want to take a close look at it. Because these two words, they tell us to do something. They tell us to do something. Now, if you're a Christian, we call that a biblical command, right? We believe that God uh, inspired the Bible, so that means that God is telling us to do something, and that by itself, should, shouldn't that, I would say that should be enough, right? If creator God Almighty says, hey, do this, we should say, yes. That's all I need. But 
I'll say even more than that, that I believe what we're told to do in this two-word verse is like, it's supposed to make us as Christians different than everybody else. And like not different bad, different good. We're, I know Christians are real good at being different bad, right? We, but I'm saying we're supposed to be different good. This is supposed to be like a magnetic differentiator between us and the rest of the world. They're supposed to look at us and go, whoa, whoa. And they're, they're supposed to be drawn in by uh, what we're told to do in this two-word verse. Now, one more thing. One more thing before I show it to you. Uh, have you ever like, talked to somebody, not you, you don't do this, you're way smarter than this, but have you ever talked to someone else who, like when presented with a new idea, um, they, they say no to it so quickly that they don't even give the good idea uh, like a chance in their mind? Like, like they get to the point where um, if they're having a conversation about the new idea that they have already pre-rejected, that they only listen to things that would support their already, uh, the, the, the stance they already have and they don't listen to any of the stuff that would, would maybe support them kind of change in the way they think. You, you know people like that. You don't do that. But uh, you know other people like that. And that's really annoying, right? That they, they don't even want to have a conversation about this new way of thinking, this new way uh, of doing something. Uh, so here's, I, I just... Um, I don't want us to have any kind of that attitude when I put this verse up there. I, I guess what I, what I really want to beg you for this morning is to lower the shields, uh, open the gates, tell the guards that stand at the front of your brain to, to, to go and break, stand down. Uh, I really want to take this verse and I want to I be curious about it. Can we be curious about this verse this morning? Let's be curious. Uh, so you ready? It's two words. It's not Jesus wept. Somebody thought it was Jesus' web. It's not. First Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Now, I, I coached you on what your reactions were going to be. So somebody sitting in this room, immediately you have some questions, Right? Probably about that pesky word always, right? That's the word that throws us off here. Rejoice, cool, but always? I got some questions about that. Now that's if you're in a good mood. If you walked in here in a bad mood today or you walked in here on the, on the tail of maybe a crisis or a tragedy in your life, that verse can make you angry. That verse can feel like a burden upon your soul. That verse can be something that you automatically want to kind of start to fight right now. And I get it. I get it. This... A pretty, isn't it crazy? That's two words. That's two words, but it's dense. You know, you wouldn't think a two-word verse would carry such weight with it, but it is surprisingly heavy for the size of the verse. So, I think part of the reason we ask questions or part of the reason we get angry about this verse is because we actually, we kind of misunderstand the verse. And I, I get that that's kind of an insult because it's two words. And I'm like, hey, two words, but you're like, you're, you can't quite get it. <laughs> that's like mean to you. Like, what are we going to do with the, word, the verses that have three words in them? We, we already can't get the two word verses. Uh, so like, I, I, I get that, but I, I genuinely think that we kind of misunderstand this. So, so if I may, I think what pops into our minds when we read a verse that says rejoice always is that we think 
this means that like we're supposed to have this like plastic smile on our face all the time, right? Like every moment of the day, like you're gonna be Joel Osteen, just kind of plastic smile, plastic hair, plastic personality. Just gonna, what does that mean? Ooh, shoot, that was supposed to be first service. We'll have to edit that. We'll have to edit that out. Or you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be like a Lego minfig, right? With the with the smile just permanently painted on your face, singing, everything is awesome all the time, even if things aren't awesome. That's what we think, right? Isn't isn't that kind of what pops in your mind when you read the verse that says rejoice always? You think I'm supposed to almost deny reality. To, to, to be joyful all the time, even when everything else in my life isn't uh, a reason to be joyful. So, um, I don't think that's what this verse means. And I want to, again, I, I want to dig into it. I, I, don't, I don't think that this verse is commanding you to not live in reality. Uh, I don't think this verse is telling you to, to close your eyes to any of the pain or tragedy that you've had in your life. Um, I want to I dig in, though, into what it does mean. Because I think that's what happens sometimes, right? Don't we do that? I don't know if you do that. I do that. Like, when I read the Bible, I'm like, well, that's, that can't mean that. And then it's kind of like, I just leave it at that, at that. I don't ever actually dig into the verse. I'm just like, well, it doesn't mean to rejoice always. I'm good. Like, and you just kind of walk away from this. Well, let, let's ask the question, what does, what does this actually mean. Uh, so what's nice is, you know, you only really have two choices as to what to dig into. Let's go with uh, looking at the word always. Okay. So you have rejoice and you have always. And I think always is the one that is the biggest stumbling block here. So the word always, uh, if you don't know this, uh, the New Testament of the Bible, uh, specifically First uh, Thessalonians, uh, was originally written in the Greek language. And the word that is translated always here is the word pontete. Uh, it happens 42 times in the New Testament. And get this, it is always translated, always. Uh, so there's no getting out of that, out the gate. You know, sometimes you look at that and you're like, oh, they translated this word, but it could mean maybe something else. Now, this one's always, and it means always. But what I want to do with you real quick is show you two, two other places this word is used and learn from the way it's used in those places and apply it backwards to rejoice always, okay? So, so one of the places that this verse or that this word is used, uh, Jesus uses it, talking about himself, and Jesus says uh, this line that he always taught in the synagogue. That's what Jesus said, that he always taught in the synagogue. Uh, now, does that mean that he never stopped teaching at the synagogue, that every minute, every second of his life he was teaching at the synagogue, that he never left, that he never slept, that he never ate, that the only thing that he did in his entire life was teach in the synagogue? No, right? He, he did other stuff. He, he, he traveled, he healed people, he ate, he slept, he, he lived a life outside of just teaching in the synagogue. But here he says that he always taught in the synagogue. So it can't mean every second of the day, right? I think the way Jesus uses it here is that what he's saying is that his life was marked by teaching in the synagogue. That if you were, if you walked up to somebody back, you know, 2000 years ago and you asked them to talk about Jesus, like tell me a little bit about Jesus. One of the things that they would tell you about is his teaching at the synagogue. That would come up. That would be one of the things that he's like known for, that he would be known by, that people would say, oh yeah, 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 like he, oh, that teacher, he teaches at the synagogue. Like that would be a thing that pops into their mind when they talk about Jesus, that 
What he means when he says always teaching at the synagogue is that teaching in the synagogue is a normal part of his life. It's not abnormal. That's regular for Jesus. That's a part of his routine is to teach in the synagogue. That's what it means. That's what he meant when he used the word always. Another place this word is used, and that's the first aspect I want you to see, is where Jesus used it. Now, Paul uses it in one of his letters, and he says this line that he gives thanks to God always for this church that he's writing a letter to, that he gives thanks to God always. So again, I would have to say that I don't think Paul only ever prayed and thanked God for this church. Like, that's not the only thing that Paul did in his life, right? And is it not constantly in prayer, thanking God specifically for this one church? We know that's not what he means there. But with this one, I think he's, he's kind of pointing towards this, this idea that, that, that gratitude for this church always flavored his prayers. Like, like it was the attitude behind his prayers. Um, that even though he may, not only did he do other things, but he even maybe prayed other things about them, but even those other things had this underlying gratitude for them. That even if he prayed hard things about this church, that, that beneath the surface, the program running in the background was this gratitude for them. And it flavored every other kind of thing that he prayed. So if we take these two things together, Jesus used it to kind of say that his life was marked by teaching in the synagogue. Paul uses it to say that his prayers are flavored by gratitude. Marked and flavored. So if we take that idea and we apply it to the word always in this two-word verse, rejoice always, I think what this verse is telling us, commanding us, is that our lives should be marked and flavored by joy. Marked and flavored by joy. The joy is supposed to be a regular part of your life. A regular part of your life. Not every second. You're not supposed to smile all the time. Not, not a plastic denial of reality. But if someone was going to describe a Christian, and this is probably the irritating part, right? If someone was going to describe a Christian, what this verse is saying is that what, one of the things that should come up is their joy level. Like that, that when someone's saying, oh yeah, I know that Christian, and you know, they're this, they're this, and yeah, they're just joyful. That's supposed to be like a noticeable thing about us, is that we have this joy that marks and flavors our life. And say it different. If someone were to describe you, if you're a Christian, then one of the things that should be on the list should be joy. That, that, that should be a, a part of the way someone would describe you. A pesky joyfulness that you just can't seem to not have. They might even be annoyed by it. But you're supposed to have it. It's supposed to mark your life. And it should flavor your life. And that's maybe the harder one, right? Because it's supposed to flavor every part of your life, even the bad things. They're supposed to be something there. And this one's maybe harder to explain. You ever, um, you ever mess around with your camera on your phone that you can put like filters over things and you can change, you know, you could change a picture to black and white. You could change a picture to be a little warmer, a little cooler. You could even make the picture look like it was taken in the 1970s even if you took the picture five minutes ago, right? Like you can put a filter over a picture. Um, but 
the filter doesn't change what the picture is, right? It doesn't change it. So, so if you took a picture of a tree, you put a filter of it, it's not gonna change a tree into a rock, it's still a tree. Right? So, so when I say that your life's supposed to be flavored by joy, even the bad things, your joy isn't going to deny and say, well, this tree is a rock or this bad thing is a good thing, but it is going to have this, it's going to put a filter over the bad thing. And there's going to be a different feel to your bad things than to someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus and their bad things. There's supposed to be a difference between the way you deal with tragedy and the way someone who doesn't know Jesus deals with tragedy. There's supposed to be a difference. It's supposed to have a different filter over it. Yeah, it's still a tragedy, but it's supposed to, it's supposed to look and feel just a little bit different. Now, we'll talk about, yeah, that brings up all kinds of questions, I know. We'll talk about how here in a minute. Um, but first, I want to ask, is your life marked by joy? Is it? If someone, if someone was going to describe you, would it make the list? Joy? Joy? And do the way like you think and reflect and process the things in your life, do you have like a joy filter over everything in your life? Do you have a steady state joy on tap in your soul? no matter what's happening in your life? Is there a tinge of joy coloring everything? Because it's, it's supposed to, right? Joy is supposed to be an invasive species of plant invading every aspect. It's supposed to be a good weed just taking over every aspect, right? It's supposed to be like salt, just, just getting in every crevice and flavoring every single aspect. So what, what I want to press on you here before we get into answering some other questions is I don't want to do the thing where you read a verse and say rejoice always. Oh, well, always doesn't mean always. And then you just kind of walk away from it. And you just kind of weasel out from underneath it. And you just kind of don't bear the weight of that being a command in your life. Don't weasel out from underneath this. This is a command, right? I mean, you, you know, like there's, you know the famous command, right? Thou shalt not murder Thou shalt not steal. Love your neighbor. Rejoice always. Like, that's on, it's on the same kind of list. That means that God takes your joy very seriously. Isn't that crazy? That God cares about that about you? Like, if God's up in heaven, like, looking at how you're doing, and, you know, okay, these are the sins, and this is the other stuff, and this is how much they read their Bible. Like, if he had a chart like that, I don't think he does, but if he did... Um, he would also be asking, all right, all right, all right, because I see how many sins they do, all the sins. I see how many times they read the Bible. It's pathetic. I think, uh, <laughs> uh, well, okay, but um, how's their joy level? Like that would be a question. He would be asking about you. How is your joy level in your life? He cares about that. Like we tend to think of joy, if we consider it a command, which most of the time we don't, but if we would, we'd consider it like cherry on top, right? It's not, you don't need it, but it's nice to have. Or like, like it's extra credit on a test. You know, like on the back of the test, you have that, that question that's like plus five if you get it right. 
won't hurt you if you get it wrong. You don't even have to, you don't even have to answer it. You're fine. Like we think of joy like that, like it's extra credit. But I'm, I'm trying to tell you like, no, no, no. This is, on, this is in the middle. Of the t- this is on the test. This is a part of it. God cares about this. This is, listen, this is a part of your Christian duty to, to be joyful. To be joyful. Don't you think it's weird? <laughs> I'm trying to convince you to be joyful right now. Isn't that weird? Like, hey, be joyful. And you're like, no. That's weird, right? Isn't it? But, but here we are. Like, like, like somebody says, have a good day. And you're like, no. Like, I'm, I refuse. <laughs> like, like, or when you tell your kids to have fun. And they're like, no, I refuse. I'm just going to make everything miserable. Like, why are we doing that with this? It's so weird to say that God's up in heaven going, hey, one of the things. And I get it. Listen, there's some commands in the Bible that are hard, right? That we're like, ooh, this is a difficult thing. But God's also like, hey, one of the commands is be joyful. And we're like, oh, you've put such a burden upon us, God. Like, what are you doing to me? I have to be joy like this is a good thing that God cares about this aspect of your life be joyful rejoice always now what I hope here's your here's your update as I'm thinking about a sermon and where we've come and where we're where we're going here where I hope you're at at this point in the story is uh, I hope you have come to this place where maybe I've convinced you that this is important aspect of your Christian walk um where you're at least curious about this and you like maybe want to lean into this a little bit but what's what's hopefully happening right now is in your mind you are either out loud or or quietly in your mind asking the question um, okay, but how? That, that's a good question. I would hope that's where you're at right now. Like, all right, I, I, I see this. God says it's important. I want it to be important. Okay, how? How? How can I live a life that is marked by and flavored by joy? How can I live a stubbornly joyful life? Uh, because this, man, this is so important. So I want to give you three, three ways, uh, three, three things that will help you with uh, having a life that's marked and, and flavored by joy. But I think part of the reason this is so important is because it proves something about you. Your joy level says something about you. I think it actually screams something about you. And that's why I think this is so important. I think that's why God makes it like a command. It's not just some like, oh, let's be cool if they're joyful. Like, no, rejoice always. Because rejoicing always shows us something about what's going on in here and going on here. So, and we'll see these things play out here as we look at these three things. So, first thing that will help you, and I'm, you want this, right? You want to live a life marked and flavored by joy. So, here's the first thing that will help you get there. Uh, number one, your fierce belief in a future promise. Your fierce belief in a future promise. So a pr- principle in life, like you, you know this already, is that what you believe about the future affects how you live in the present, right? Like we, you know this in gen- on a micro level, we, we live this out all the time. What you think about, how you think about the future affects the way you're living right now, right? It, like we, we know this. A, a silly example would be... Um, if you, if you work a job where you, you work Monday through Friday, um, you ever notice the difference 
between like a normal Friday and the Friday before vacation. You ever notice the difference between those two Fridays? Isn't it crazy the difference between those two Fridays? A normal Friday is good, right? But the Friday before vacation, man, you're like invincible, right? Whatever, Karen, and yo, send your stupid email, be snarky with me, whatever. I'm gonna see you in eight days, I don't care, right? You, and, and, you're, and have you ever noticed that like your energy level's super high? Right before, like you're like, oh, I can get this to-do list done, I can answer that email, I can solve that problem. You're like invincible, but what's weird is it's just, it's just Friday, right? The, the day itself is no different than any other Friday. The actual in the present is the same. The difference between that Friday and the other Friday is your belief about the future. Your, what you're looking forward to shifts how you act in the present. Now, and you could take that and, and, and you could, we understand that in a lot of different things, that the way you think about the future affects the way you act in the present. But can we back it up for a minute and look at this on like a macro level with your whole life? I want to use Jesus as an example. Hebrews 12.2 says this, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor God's, beside God's throne. So this is talking about Jesus dying on the cross for us, right? And, and what it's saying is that what he knew about the future, like marked and flavored his, his present on that cross, that he endured a present suffering, a, a horrific suffering because of a future glory that he saw from a distance. And, and it was awful, right? His present was awful, but he knew the good was coming, right? He, he knew that he was conquering sin, Satan, death, and demons, that he was providing for us a, an opportunity for a relationship with God and a future home in heaven. He knew all of the good that was gonna come from that, but he, and, and, and because he knew this about the future, he was able to endure the present. And then it says he like disregarded the shame. It changed like the way he thought about what he was experiencing because of what he knew was coming. So Christian... Listen, Christian, do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we? Do we really believe that our last breath here on this earth will be followed by our first breath in the presence of our creator? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe in a future reality that we are going to experience that is free from death and sickness and decay and sin and suffering? Do we really believe that? And if we do, if we believe that about our future, shouldn't that belief about our future change our present? Change the way we feel? Change the way we live in the present? Shouldn't there be some kind of stubborn joy that comes from knowing that's what's coming? Uh, almost a little bit of invincibility that comes with that because that can't be touched, right? We believe that on the other side of death that we're gonna be in the presence of our creator and that nothing on this side of death can touch that. Shouldn't we be fiercely, stubbornly joyful? At least on some level because of, shouldn't that make a blip on your joy level? Shouldn't, shouldn't that have something, the steady state, like if a normal person's joy level is here, shouldn't ours be here knowing that about our future? 
You ever heard a guy named Justin Martyr? He's actually, his name is where we get the term martyr from, someone dying for their faith. Uh, He wrote this letter before he was martyred to the Roman emperor, who was going to be the one who gave the order to kill him. He wrote a letter, it was long, uh, defending the Christians who were under threat of execution. It's it's an interesting thing to read. Uh, I want to say it's not super persuasive, and I'll read, I want to read you the line that I think kind of proves it's not super persuasive. But basically, he's, he's urging this emperor to at least consider the facts before just giving the execution order. Uh, that's his big, big part of his reasoning here. But he wrote this line, it's like in the second paragraph of this thing. Uh, and, and keep in mind, again, he's writing this letter under very real threat of execution. Like Rome liked, Rome liked to execute people, right? Like Rome, Rome erred on the side of kill them, right? Not, not, it, was not, it was not like innocent until proven guilty. It was like, we'll kill you. And if we find out later you weren't that bad, oops, like we don't care. So like that's, this is the threat he's under. They're probably gonna kill us. So here's my letter. One of the lines in this letter is this. To the Roman emperor, you can kill us but you cannot do us any real harm. (laughs) That is gangster right there, is it not? Like, dude, that's like somebody with a gun to your head looking him in the eye saying, pull the trigger, whatever. You can, you, can, you can pull the trigger, but you can't really hurt me. I mean, that, that is a, a gutsy thing to do. But the reason he's able to do that, keep in mind, the reason he's able to do that is because of his fierce belief in this future promise. So much so that he's just like, what's the worst that you can do? Oh, you're going to kill me? All right. Because I got that coming. Like, what if, what if you had a little bit of that? I'm not expecting you to be all full-on Justin Martyr. <laughs> like, what if you just had a little bit of that? Or like, your mentality was such that like, okay, the worst thing that could happen is <laughs> I die. Okay. I mean, what if, you could, what if you could carefully talk a little smack to Satan, you know? It's like, what are you going to do, Satan? Kill me? And, and, and have me enter the presence of my creator uh, with, with pure joy forever? That's what you're going to do to me, Satan? Like, what, what can he do at that point? If you have that that perspective, if you hold on to that future truth, that future promise so tightly, what can he do? Again, you have a little bit of invincibility if you are holding on to this future promise. So that's the first thing that should, it should make a blip on the joy radar of your life, a future belief in, the, in this promise. This, this promise that is coming. Second thing, second thing that can help mark and flavor your life with joy is a present presence, a present presence. The presence of God in your life should bring you some level of joy in your life. And I'm not talking about like uh, learning about God. I'm not talking about thinking about, I'm, I'm talking about experiencing the very real presence of God should bring joy in your life. Uh, Nehemiah 8.10, part of the verse says this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love that because it's not just joy, right? It's joy of the Lord. Joy that comes from the Lord. Joy that comes from the presence of the Lord. Joy that comes from proximity to the Lord. Joy that, that finds its source in God. 
that kind of joy. God's presence should change your joy level. If you're a Christian, and, and by the, doesn't, doesn't the Bible say, like, if you're a Christian, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of you, that God's presence is very real inside of you right now? Shouldn't your joy level based off of that be different than somebody who doesn't have that? Shouldn't it? Shouldn't there be a difference? And notice I'm saying it's, I'm not saying that you need to get into the presence of God. I'm saying you need to be more aware of the presence that's already there, right? So for me this week, uh, blue tip week's always stressful. Uh, I have gotten to the point where I'm delegating a lot. So like other people are tired. But uh, it's still a weight to carry, right? Uh, my, my back starts hurting on Monday in anticipation of Tuesday. Like, I just know it's going to be hard, and I, 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 get, I, I just get in my own head. And uh, it is a lot. We have a lot of questions, a lot of details, uh, a lot of people. And I do think there's, like, a spiritual weight to it uh, because we are, uh, you know, we're invading uh, the city and, and inviting people to church. And I don't think that Satan likes that. So there's just a weight to it. Uh, we showed up on Wednesday. Uh, to Memorial Park to start getting things ready. And, you know, I, I put out the stakes of little pennants, this little, this little area, I, I mark it every year. I like doing it. There's something about that. Um, it's like a spiritual thing for me to like set up this little perimeter saying, hey, this is a place where something different's gonna happen. I love, I love it. It's, it's so cool. So we get there, start looking around and, you know, they had had the festival the night before and the place is just trashed. There is stuff everywhere. So I'm getting there excited. I'll put my stakes in the ground. We can't even start that because first, and somebody got a hold of the toilet paper in one of the bathrooms like, oh, this is awesome. Uh, There were those lemonade cups, but instead of lemonade being in the cups, there's ants. Super gross. Just ants everywhere. Pieces of lemons, uneaten food. It was gross. Now in those moments, I don't know about you, but real for real, for real, for me. I don't think nice thoughts about the people that did that. <laughs> I don't know. If I <laughs> and it's ironic because here we are about to do Kids Land for those, those people, but I'm like cursing them as I'm picking this stuff up. Uh, but like as I'm doing it, and, and this is a, a mercy and grace from God, and he, God, 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 I won't say he spoke to me because I don't hear an audible voice, but I felt this. Um, I think the best way to describe it, and I don't even know if this is theologically correct or whatever, <laughs> but I felt God was excited for Kidsland. And I felt this wave of excitement for what was about to happen. And uh, the joy of the Lord. <laughs> All of a sudden, like I was, it, it just changed. I was still doing the same thing. I was still picking up stupid trash from stupid people. And, uh, but it changed the whole field for me. I, instead of just picking up trash, it felt like we were preparing the field for battle. Like we were going to go do something and that God was going to move. And it just changed. It was the same thing, but it completely changed it when I was aware of his presence and, and what he was doing in me and through me in that moment. It just changed everything. So again, Christian, how aware of the presence of God are you in your life? How aware? Not, not do you get into God's presence. No, you already have it. You already, 
He's here. How aware are you? Are you doing anything to increase your awareness? Because again, if you want a that rejoice always, verse I'd say, I'm interested, how can I do that? Be more aware of God's presence in your life. Hold on to the future promise. Be more aware of the present presence. That will change it. Whatever your joy level is, the more aware of God's presence in your life, that should move the joy level up. It should, it should. That might just make you a little impervious to some of the circumstances that come and hit you in the face, the presence of Almighty God. All right, last thing. So you need, a, you need a future promise, you need a present presence. Last thing, you need a spiritual perspective, a spiritual perspective. Um, listen, Christians, we're supposed to see the world a little different. Do you know that? Uh, we can look at the same thing and see something else. The, 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 other, the, the rest of the world's gonna see one thing. We're gonna look at the same thing and see something else. Second Corinthians 4.18 says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So this verse puts two things on the table, says there's things you can see and there's things you cannot see. And it says, hey, Christian, you're supposed to focus on the things you can't see. Fix your gaze, which is crazy wordplay, right? Fix your gaze on something you can't even see. Fix your focus on something that is not visible. You have physical, spiritual, focus on the spiritual. You see the unseen. Now, I'm gonna do something crazy. So this whole sermon has been kind of, uh, I don't know if you can tell, trying to defend your joy against bad things. That's what I'm trying to do. And I think that if you have a relationship with God, uh, that you should be able to have your joy be defended by him, even in the midst of bad things that happen to you. Because you have a future promise, right? So, so even the worst things that can happen, I have a future promise where I believe that God is going to work backwards and make bad things become untrue. And like, I believe that. So that will protect my joy from bad things. And then a present presence I know also will protect me against bad things, that my joy is defended by those things. But I want to say something crazy. That for some of you, the biggest threat to your joy is not bad things in your life. It's actually good things. And here's what I mean. That you have some things in your life that you, you rely on to give you joy and they're physical things. And I think they can, they can do something temporarily, but they can't give you true soul level joy. And what happens is you rely on these good things and they're good things to give you this joy and they give you a shallow sense of it, but they don't give you the real thing. So what happens is they actually get in the way of true joy. That these things become barriers to true joy because you keep searching for it in a place that you can't actually get it, distracting you from actually searching for it in the right place. And, and they're good things. They're good things. You, you, can, you, can, you can try to find joy in food or sex or money or entertainment or, or achievements. You can, you, and, and those things aren't wrong, right? Um, but they can't do what only God can do. So they're in the way if you're relying on them for your joy. Now, here's the tricky part for me. If you came to me and said, hey, there's this thing in my life that is between me and God and it's actually hindering my relationship with God, almost 100% of the time, my advice to you is going to be get rid of it. 
right? That should be the answer. If something's between you and something's hindering your relationship with God, get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Your relationship with God's the most important thing. Just get rid of it. But with these things, come to me and say, hey, pastor, listen, I like to eat. <laughs> it's actually hindering my relationship with God. I can't say, stop it, <laughs> right? I can't, I can't tell you not to, right? So, so what do we do with some of these things? And I can't say like, if you're like, hey, um, I've been trying to find joy in my relationship with my spouse. Uh, and, and listen, your spouse makes a great spouse, but they make a terrible God. So they're not gonna be able to do it, right? But I, I can't tell you, we'll get away from them then. Like that's terrible advice, right? So what are we gonna do with these things that are good things that may be in the way and blocking true joy coming from God because you're trying to find joy in those things? So we're watching uh, the show Chosen as a family right now. It's like our nightly-ish routine right now. Chosen, it's a Jesus show. It's kids call it a Jesus show. Um, now it's, I don't know if you watched it. It's cool. I really like it. I, I know it's not like, it's not all biblical. No, there's stories around the Bible stories. They're not stories of the Bible stories. So like, if you know what it is, like, I'm not like, I'm not like, watching The Chosen instead of reading the Bible every day, just like I'm not replacing that, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you know what it is, it draws me closer to God. It does. Like, I, I like watching things that, that draw me closer uh, to God in my life. One of the details of the show, and I don't know if you've watched it, one of the details of the show, they have this little prayer they say uh, before they eat and drink, and I love this. They, they say it a lot in the show. Uh, it says, uh, blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Uh, it's cool. Now that you won't find that prayer anywhere in the Bible. It's actually a Jewish prayer of blessing over wine. <laughs> Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the Jews, creator of the fruit of the vine. Um, now, they say it like every time before they would drink wine. And uh, it's not supposed to be this ritual thing. It's not supposed to be this like religious, I just have this routine that I do. What it's supposed to do, and listen, listen, it's supposed to remind you, that little prayer is supposed to remind you that the source of joy is not the wine, but the one who created the wine. That's what that, just a little prayer is supposed to do. It's supposed to, to get your eyes to lift up just a little bit. Okay, the wine's cool, but how cool is the one who created grapes, right? Like that's awesome. It's supposed to just lift your, it's supposed to allow your enjoyment of the thing to roll past the thing to the one who created the thing. And that's what that little prayer is supposed to remind you to do. Because what happens when we, when we only look at the thing is that we, instead of just enjoying the thing, we actually start to like worship the thing and ask the thing to give us this joy that it cannot give us. So in doing these good things, if we can allow our enjoyment to roll past them to the one who created the thing, then all of a sudden, that thing, instead of being a barrier to our joy, it becomes a conduit of how we enjoy God. That hey, you can worship, what happens up here certainly is worship. We worship God through song, but this is almost a, an overflow. You should be worshiping God in all the good things in your life. And that's, you, you get to decide what those good things are that, that God uh, just resonates in your soul because of them. Some of you need to do this while you're going on a walk through nature. Some of you do need to do this when you eat. Don't just pray the thank you Jesus for this food thing, but you really need to focus on the one who created the thing that you're enjoying to allow that joy, uh, uh, the joy of the Lord to flow through it rather than block it. So what if, what if you like made this prayer like, 
You could customize it. Make it whatever to whatever thing your thing is, right? Um, maybe, maybe you like wine. We're not Baptists. Whatever. <laughs> I, used, I used to have to, like, guys, I've been the pastor of this church for 12 years. I used to have to say grape juice when I talk about wine, but I don't have to anymore. Um, so maybe before you take a drink of wine, it doesn't have to be out loud. Maybe just in your head, blessed art thou, Lord our God, king of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And maybe just that little prayer before you would take a sip would be a thing that would open up your heart to not just enjoying the wine, but enjoying the God who created the wine. Or, or maybe um, before you take a bite of steak, you could say, blessed art thou, Lord our God, king of the universe, creator of the cows in the field, right? <laughs> and, and the, and the ribeye, Lord, thank you for that, right? the one who created all of that and my taste buds and the, and the flavors and the way all that comes together. Or maybe, maybe before you, there's kids, enjoy the company of your spouse. <laughs> Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of... <laughs> the bedroom. <laughs> Again, customizable. Now listen, some of you think that's weird. But dude, if you pray before chicken nuggets, you better pray before sex. I don't care. <laughs> you clap for that. <laughs> Your acknowledgement of God helps create a conduit through which you're actually accessing his joy instead of just this fake, shallow joy in the thing. You're enjoying the one who created the thing. Because you see different, right? Again, but that's, that's what the verse said, right? You don't focus on what you can see, you focus on what you can't see. So Christians, I wanna apply that to the good things in your life. Stop just looking at the good things and saying, I need these good things for me. No, you need to look past those good things, the one who created those good things and gave you those good things and now you have access to true joy. One of the best ways to do that, by the way, it is gratitude. I really think gratitude is, is like one of the biggest differences between a person who has a life marked and flavored by joy and a person who has none, is a person who looks at God for the things that are in their life and says, man, I am just so grateful. That's all I did this morning. I walk around the downtown almost every Sunday before I come in here. I take the long way around. And I spent my whole time just going over in my head all of the good stuff in my life and just thanking him for it, thanking him for it, thanking him for it, thanking him for it, because I really think that my gratitude level and my joy level are like attached. And I have to make sure that gratitude's up because joy goes up as well. So listen, Christians, can we just be honest? We're not known for this. Christians are not known for being joyful. It's not a thing. What if, what if we decided to do that though? What if you decided, hey, as a Christian, I want, one of my goals is to take joy so seriously that people like know me for it. What, what if you really saw joy as this holy thing in your life, this sacred thing, this command from God that, that you wanted to do whatever you could to protect the joy in your life because you, you understand that it's that important. What if you did that? made joy a priority in your life. I wonder what God would do with that. Worship team, why don't you guys come out? Pray with me. 
Jesus, I pray for the person in here right now who is really struggling with joy. Maybe it's a steady state thing. Maybe there was something that happened to them recently. Lord, I pray for them right now. That you would uh, be obviously present in their heart. Lord, I, I pray for the person right now who one of the reasons they don't have joy in their life is because they feel guilty all the time, that they feel like they're, they don't deserve joy. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your love and grace and forgiveness on them right now. They would know how much this command means about your love for them. Lord, I pray for us as a church. This would be a thing, Lord. That people would look at this, this people, this group of people and go, wow, man, they got some joy. And they would just ask, it would beg a question of where we get it from, Lord. So we could point them to you. of your presence in our life, Lord. We need more of an awareness of that. We need more gratitude, Lord. Pray for those things. In Jesus' name.